All right, here we go. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this. This week, I want to pick up on a couple of points that I made in last week's podcast. A couple of points that a number of people have said to me, well, hold on. There are things in life where we do need to be courageous and brave. Yeah. Last week, I mentioned that there's no such thing as courage or bravery to people who are in the zone, or as the University of Chicago would have it, in flow. They're simply doing what they know they need to do, and they're doing it to the best of their ability, and they're doing it without thinking about it, and they're doing it effortlessly, because they know, because they are in flow, It's the right thing to be doing at that moment in time, regardless of perhaps the perceived dangers or perhaps real dangers, or regardless of the manner in which the normal mind might observe them doing something and say, well, I couldn't do that. How could I do that? I wouldn't be comfortable doing that. So let's, let's dissect what I meant when I said last week that there's no such thing as courage and bravery in the land of people in flow. We're designed to live within a comfort zone. Evolution saw to it that we stayed within this comfort zone when we were out hunting and gathering because to move outside our comfort zone would put us in mortal danger. Modern man and modern woman live inside a comfort zone that very often is awfully, awfully uncomfortable. So what do normal people do in the modern age? They decorate their prison cell. They say to themselves, well, this life of mine is this life of mine and I'm stuck here, so I'm going to buy myself a nice car, I'm going to buy myself a nice pair of shoes, or I'm going to go on a nice holiday, (laughs) when I'm allowed to go on a nice holiday, and I'm going to Pamper myself with a load of stuff that will make me forget that I'm uncomfortable in my own skin and I'm uncomfortable in my own comfort zone. You know, over the years, potential customers or clients have asked me, do I do resilience training? And would I work with, for example, their senior leadership team to make them more resilient? And I say to them, why would you need to train yourself to deal with something that actually isn't there. And I asked them, why would you train yourself to put up with something with whom? And I asked them, why would you train yourself to put up with something with which you shouldn't have to put up? You see, we as human beings pride ourselves on our resilience and really what resilience means in everyday practice is I can put up with the discomfort in my own comfort zone. Whereas all you have to do is realize that the cell you might otherwise decorate because you think you're stuck inside it has no key in the door. In fact, if you push gently against the door, you'll find that it swings open effortlessly into the world beyond. It's called the real world. It's called the world beyond the 70,000 thoughts in your head that enable you stay within your comfort zone, that enable you stay safe, that enable you live your life on a set of rails, even though that set of rails is actually going nowhere other than going around in a loop. 
the loop that is created by the 70,000 thoughts that we have whizzing through our head day in, day out, for all of our adult life, until, of course, we do something about it. The something we can do about it is develop our innate ability, our natural ability to pay attention to the reality of the moment and stop giving our attention to the thoughts that keep us on that loop. Stop giving our attention to the thoughts that create this artificial reality for ourselves that we call our comfort zone. In fact, that we actually call our daily lives. It's not our daily lives. It is an illusion. And it's a bad illusion. It's not a dream, it's a nightmare. It may not be a big nightmare to you, but in comparison to the life that you could have, believe you me, it's a nightmare. <coughs> and it's a nightmare where there are dungeons and dragons. It's a nightmare that is filled with fear. First of all, fear of failure. Fear of exposing oneself fear of putting one's head above the parapet, fear of being different. The strangest one of all from my perspective though, and it's very common, is fear of success. People tell me that they are afraid of being a success because they might lose some of their friends. Their, some of their friends might think them strange or different or odd. Well, with friends like that, dot, dot, dot. The point is that fear like the discomfort in our comfort zone. It's not real. It comes from those 70,000 thoughts that I keep referring to in most of the episodes in this podcast. And the reason I keep referring to them is that they feel real. Boy, do they have an impact on even your body because they create the stress in your body that gives you uh, high blood pressure or, or an irregular heartbeat or digestive problems or uh, immunodeficiencies. They feel real, but they're all born out of the 70,000 thoughts and you're paying attention to them automatically. That, that's how the normal mind works. And that is why this podcast is called Just Let Go. To succeed, you need to let go of the thoughts that are holding you back. You let go of the thoughts that are holding you back by developing, as I said a moment ago, your innate, your natural ability to invest all your energy in the here and now, to give your undivided attention to your own life. When you do that, you see things differently. Most importantly, when you do that, you see yourself differently. Actually, more than that, you become acquainted with somebody who you may never have actually met in your adult life. This person is called the real you, and this person is free of all the inhibitions and perceived inadequacies that you drag around with you daily, and that drag you daily down. When you let go of those perceived inadequacies, you step outside the artificial comfort zone that your mind has created for you. And suddenly you find that you are able to do things that you thought you mightn't be able to do. When we moved to France in 2002, I was going, myself, my wife, and at that stage our three children had all been born and bred up to that point in Dublin. 
And we moved to France when our eldest boy was almost 13 years of age. And people said to us, wow, that was so brave. You were so courageous. And all of us, all five of us would have said, no, not at all. There's no bravery or courage involved there at all. There wasn't even a decision made. It simply felt like the right, obvious, next thing to do in our march forward in the adventure of what we call our lives. I had a very similar conversation with a very, very good friend of mine a couple of summers ago uh, over a nice lunch in Dublin. At 58 years of age, he had set up his own business and a number of his friends were saying to me, are you mad? You should be getting ready for retirement at 58 years of age, not going out on a limb and taking those kind of risks. God, that's awfully brave and courageous. And he said to me, as he had said to them, no, I don't feel brave at all. I don't feel as if I'm some kind of superhero. There's no courage involved in this. This is something that kind of grew from a seed inside of me and I knew sooner or later I'd have to do it. It's almost as if it just happened. It certainly felt like the obvious thing to do. When you're in flow, when you're in charge of your own state of mind, and when you know what you really want out of life, what looks like bravery and courage to the normal coward person, cowered down by their own thoughts, is simply the obvious thing that you almost have no choice in relation to doing. Now I need to explain that one. Surely I'm not saying that your mind is going to take control of you. No, not at all. I'm saying the exact opposite. Because if you're a normal crazy person, that is the case already. The 70,000 thoughts that operate your automatic pilot every day means that your mind has total and utter control over you and you have no control over your mind at all. A definition of lunacy if ever I heard one. Whereas if I am in complete control of my own state of mind to the extent that I can actually pay all of my attention to the here and now, give my undivided attention to my own life, understand what is going on, be able to spot the opportunities of the moment in the moment and be able to spot the pitfalls in the moment too, so that I dance through my day and dance through life, taking the opportunities as they arise or even creating the opportunities as I move through the day, so that I simply know what I need to do and go and do it in the ever exciting journey and adventure that will lead me forward in the life that I am loving living. Let's take a really simple example of how we hold ourselves back. A couple of years ago, I was chatting with a client who was coming to the end of a master's in project management. And for his thesis, he had to interview two, count them, one, two, two project managers, two senior project managers in big companies to get their perspective on what worked and what didn't work. And I was talking to him every Friday. And I would talk to him one Friday and he'd say to me, I'm just coming to the end of my master's. I'm nearly finished my thesis. 
it's going to be wonderful when I don't have all this study anymore and I'm going to be able to do so many other things and I may may open up opportunities for me in my career. I certainly hope it does. He said, the last thing I have to do is simply talk to a couple of people. And I have a list of 10 people. That was the first conversation. He had a list on a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet, at that moment in time of 10 people. And he was going to ring a few of them and asked them would they talk to him with a view to talking to two that he could include in his thesis. A couple of weeks later I asked him had he finished his thesis and he said no I haven't rung those people yet. I said why? He said well he said I've spent time rearranging the top ten so that you know I have at number one the person who I would feel most comfortable lifting up the phone to ask. And he said over the last couple of weeks, I've kept rearranging the top 10. I've changed, wait, wait until you hear this. I have changed the fonts on the Excel spreadsheet. I've changed the colors of the cells. I have changed the way in which I've laid out their email, telephone number, and their name, and the business that they work for. And as I said a moment ago, I've reordered my top 10 again and again and again, but I can't get to the point of lifting the phone and asking somebody will they talk to me. He said, I can't even get to the point of taking the coward's way out and sending them an email. He would have felt uncomfortable. Now he felt uncomfortable doing it because it made him, and this is a, this is a word I used in last week's podcast too, it made him feel squirmy. He wasn't sure that how people would react to his request. And consequently, he had wasted weeks and was coming towards his thesis deadline. He had wasted weeks in deciding who he would contact and hadn't got around to contacting anybody. Now, once again, I'm going to have to let that ambulance go by in exactly the same way that I had to last week. Fuck's sake. I mentioned a few minutes ago that we are designed to stay within our comfort zone. Evolution designed us that way. For outside our comfort zone was a world of danger such that we might not survive the day. And in those days, our primary goal was simply to survive. As part of the mechanism to ensure that we stayed inside our comfort zone, our sub cortical brain had, and until you do something nowadays, still has within it a tripwire that will stop you doing things that would take you outside your comfort zone. In other words, the normal mind is actually designed not to do anything that would make you feel squirmy or uncomfortable. The normal mind will always ensure that you don't go near those boundaries for fear of hurting yourself or putting yourself in harm's way. And this, my friend, was a classic example. He knew all he had to do was ring two out of ten people, or get two out of ten people to talk to him, and he couldn't lift the phone. So I suggested to him, on about the fourth week of these interminable repetitive calls, that he needed to write down 
and he needed to write down, hand write down, how he would feel having come off the phone to the first person who said yes. He said to me, what? What are you saying? I said, well, actually, I said, there's a load of scientific research, mainly neuroscientific research, that shows when you write something down, you snip the tripwire that would otherwise stop you going outside your comfort zone. In other words, you're no longer disabled by your own protective subcortical shield, if I can put it like that. He rang me the following Friday, as he would every Friday. And he said to me, he said, he said, I rang a couple of people and the first couple of people I didn't get first time. He said, but I actually have six people who want to talk to me. And he said, in between last week and this week, I've talked to three of them and they're only delighted to give me what I want to help me get over the final hurdle of my thesis and the final bit of my studies. He said, it's amazing how open people are. As I said to him, all you had to do was ask. All you had to do was drop this idea that to ask somebody to talk to you might be brave or courageous. This goes for everything. It's, this, it's, it's just a classic, simple example of how we trip ourselves up, how we are, as many of my clients have said to me, our own worst enemy. And you might think to yourself, well, this isn't a huge example. His life wasn't ruined as a result. Well, he was having sleepless nights. He was suffering from stress. He was coming up against a deadline at the end of three years of study. And if he missed the deadline, he would have wasted the three years. And then, of course, he would have done all the other things that we do to keep us inside our comfort zone. Ah, you were right not to ring those people. Sure, if they did talk to you, they probably wouldn't have given you what you wanted because you didn't deserve it, because you are the kind of person who doesn't deserve to be happy and successful in this life. And if you were happy and successful in this life, you'd be in trouble, because being happy and successful in this life means you're in real trouble in the next life. All the rubbish thoughts that we carry around with us, all designed to keep us on that set of rails, that loop that keeps us going round and round and round. But when you stop thinking that way, in fact, when you stop thinking, full stop, you start effortlessly, and I mean that very, very deliberate. I've deliberately chosen, and I've deliberately chosen that word because neuroscience has established it's a scientific fact. You begin to effortlessly simply do just what you need to do to get to where you want to go. My friend wanted to finish his thesis. My friend wanted to have his master's. My friend wanted to be able to live in a post-study world where he had more time to do the things he loved and perhaps had greater opportunities from a career point of view. That was his motivation. He knew where he wanted to go and yet he still had to set his mind to ensure that his subconscious mind shared the knowledge of that is where you that that is where you wanted to go. We set our minds by handwriting how it feels when we get what we want. Because the subconscious mind, when it is spoken to in that kind of language, understands, takes a psychological snapshot of what we are telling it, 
and that becomes one of our subconscious mind's goals and objectives. Actually, I can put it more simply. It becomes one of our subconscious mind's expectations. In 1932, the psychologist Bartlett put forward the proposition that we only perceive and achieve what we expect to perceive and achieve. We've talked about this in earlier podcast episodes. In 2008, 2009, and in the last decade, to an even greater extent, neuroscience has established that our mind only operates on the basis of our expectations. We could be shown stuff or experience stuff or be told stuff that we don't expect and it would go in one ear and out the other. The logical conclusion that even an idiot could draw from this is that if I change my expectations, I'm going to perceive differently and therefore I'm going to achieve differently. And the first and most important thing that I will perceive differently will be me. If I change my expectations of me, then everything changes. Let's explore this for a moment because I ask my clients, I've asked every single one of my one-to-one clients at some point over the years, do you love yourself? And everybody answers no, or, or, or worse than that. And that means simply that they don't know themselves, because if you knew the real you, you'd love yourself unconditionally. The only person they know is the person they think they know. It is the person they expect themselves to be on the basis of the expectations that were given to them by other people when they were three or four years old in particular, and up to the age of 11 or 12, building on those foundational expectations that they learned about themselves in particular during the third year of their lives. These are the expectations normal crazy people carry around with them every day. Perhaps you're one of them. We all were that soldier at some point along the way. These are the expectations that hold us back, the expectations that drag us down, and the expectations that keep us within our comfort zone. They are the expectations that enable us make it through the day, which was, seven or eight thousand years ago, our primary objective. That is the way our brains evolved. But we know nowadays, from neuroscientific experiment and proof, that you can take charge of your own personal evolution. You can actually change the structure of your brain and in changing the structure of your brain and handwriting what you are experiencing it as if you have already achieved your objective. By handwriting what you are experiencing having achieved your objective as if you're already there, you snip this tripwire in your brain. That's one of the key findings in neuroscience over the last few years. You actually let yourself go. You let yourself off the hook that your own defense mechanisms chained you down with for all of your adult life up to the point in time where you do actually let yourself go. So do you need to be brave and courageous? The short answer is no. Slightly longer answer is there's no such thing. Bravery, courage, and the fear that often triggers bravery and courage, none of those things exists except in the mind of the beholder. Fear is like beauty. 
it's all down to a personal perspective. The perspective that you have of what's going on and the perspective that you have of your own perceived ability to deal with what you perceive is going on. If you drop all those preconceived notions and those built-in expectations and perspectives and come into the here and now, suddenly you know what's actually going on, suddenly you know exactly what you need to do, and suddenly if you've set your mind so that it knows what you're trying to achieve, suddenly you just go and do what you need to do without giving it a second thought or without even giving it a first thought. Now, people will often say to me, hold on, are you simply saying that all I have to do is write down what I want to achieve, handwrite down what I want to achieve and let it happen? That is not what I said at all. Many of my clients, sorry, almost all of my clients over the years have said to me, things are happening for me and they're happening so effortlessly it feels like they're just happening. But they know and I know and you know that nothing in life just happens. A man or a woman's got to do what a man or a woman has got to do. And that brings me all the way back to my friend with his Excel spreadsheet. He had to lift the phone. You have to do what you have to do to get to where you want to go. If you're using your mind normally, first of all, first of all, you probably won't even know where you want to go. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago and I was asking her what were her goals and objectives. And she said, well, I'd love to live in New Zealand or maybe I'd like to live on the Californian coast, you know, with a bit of heat, a bit of sun on my back. Or I was thinking that it would be wonderful to move to the west of Ireland. And I was thinking that I wanted this kind of job or maybe I'd like to work for myself. She had the clue what she wanted. All of those things were things that she thought she wanted from one minute to the next when she sat down and said to herself, oh, what do I want? She didn't allow herself, the real you that I said you'd love, that you'd discover if you drop all the thoughts that hold you back. She didn't let the real her inform her as to what her heart desires. Now we need to talk about this at greater length because very often when I say to people, oh, you simply need to handwrite how it feels when you achieve what you want to achieve. They want to rush into handwriting. And I keep saying, no, because I've come across so many people over the years who succumbed to the temptation of rushing into handwriting and handwrote something that they thought they wanted and got it and realized that that isn't what they wanted at all at all. Sorry, that's the Irishman in me coming out. At all, at all. You need to take a step back. And the first and most important thing that we need to do in our lives is do the one thing that is most important. And that is our daily training, our daily meditation, to develop our ability to clear our minds so that we encounter the real you and that you become informed by the real you as to what you really want out of life, the kind of life you'd love to live, the kind of experiences that you would love to have. Then, when you write it, what you've written has, doesn't just happen by magic. You do what you have to do, and you do what you have to do because you snip the little tripwire in your brain that would otherwise hold it, that would otherwise hold you back from doing what you know in your heart and soul that you have to do. The discomfort would be gone. There would be no comfort zone. Your life would be flowing. You wouldn't need 
the protection of a comfort zone, the comfort blanket or a soother of sticking in your own little place and your own little view of yourself and your own little perspective on life. You don't need any of that anymore. You're free. Once you let yourself go of thoughts that hold you back. The key message in today's episode is that fear, bravery and courage don't exist. They're the product of normal thinking. When you stop thinking normally and start being, you start doing free of those thoughts so that the things and actions that normal people might regard as brave and courageous are just the things that you do and that come to you naturally to do effortlessly. So what's the first thing you need to do? You need to take charge of that wonderful piece of equipment between. So what's the first thing you need to do? You need to take charge of the wonderful piece of equipment that you have between your two ears that will enable you simply put one foot in front of the other, your best foot forward every day, enabling you to simply and effortlessly do the right things and avoid doing the wrong things. It's called taking a step in the right direction. <laughs>